Today's Skim from the Couch is presented by Almost Family, a new drama that airs Wednesdays at 9, 8 central on Fox. You'll hear more about it in this episode where we talk to actress and star of the show, Brittany Snow. There's like no tricks. It's just doing the work and getting in there. And then if it's not yours, then it was never yours anyway. But at least you can go to bed knowing that you did that. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team. To the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So today we are sitting down with actress, producer, director, and singer Brittany Snow. That is quite an intro. Singer is a very loose well, term. You're the best singer of the three of us. Yes. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, for you sure, are by far. <laughs> Brittany's been in public eye since the age of three, with her breakout role at twelve on Guiding Light, which Carly stayed home to watch. It's a weird fact, but okay. <laughs> you may know her from her roles in films like John Tucker Must Die, uh, Someone Great, or our personal favorite, Pitch Perfect 1, 2, and 3. Uh, with over 20 years of acting, Brittany has recently transitioned into exploring work behind the camera. Her directorial debut premiered earlier this year, and now we can't wait to watch her starring on Fox's new drama, Almost Family, which premieres on Wednesday, October 2nd at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. So we are so excited to talk to you today, Brittany. Welcome Thank to the you. couch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, I'm, for getting up early. I'm nervous. I don't usually talk in front of live or real audiences at all. <laughs> Uh, live, of course, you're alive. Um, and uh, so this is going to be a new thing for me. And first thing in the morning. Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. I think. So let's start off with just walk us through your resume. You oh, started God. acting, <laughs> you know, we'll just get into it. Um, well, you started acting when you were 12. I, I actually, my my mom got me into it when I was a baby. So I started when I was three. Wow. Um, I started, you know, I wasn't like rehearsing my lines and things when I was three. But uh, I did commercials. I did a TV show called Sequest when I was eight years old. I played an alien child. That was a big deal for me. I still know how to speak alien, if anyone asks. And then when I was 12, I got Guiding Light, and I moved here to New York. And then I flew from New York back home to Florida, where I lived, to do school back and forth probably twice a week, and then finished school in Florida and then did the soap opera and then moved out to LA to do American Dreams when I was 15. Did that show for three years and then started doing films after that. The classic film, Pacifier, was my first movie. Um, people study that in, in class uh, and I'm very proud of it. And then from there, you know, I just went on to do other crazy movies and uh, yeah. When you say school, like mm -hmm. what was that? Normal school? I was, was in it? normal school. Okay. So my parents had a great idea, which now um, in hindsight was a terrible idea, to keep me in school because they wanted me to be normal and, and go to school and learn with you know everyone else and then go to New York and be on the soap opera and have to 
memorize 40 pages of lines and do that and then fly back to Florida and then be able to be in school at the same time. So I taught myself basically because the union in New York and soap operas didn't facilitate a tutor. So yeah, it was kind of one of those hectic three years of my life where I went back and forth. That sucks for you, but like, I'm so grateful for your work and guiding life. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad I that mean, someone it's, is. It was profound. <laughs> um, I want to talk about what is not on your IMDB profile. What should we know about you that's not there? Um, in terms of work or really? like, um, I, I write a lot. Um, I think a lot of people don't know that I have written a few screenplays and I definitely would never call myself a writer yet because until I actually get something out there and get one of these movies that I've written, seen and directed, I'm not going to call myself a writer, but I really enjoy that medium. And um, I think something that people would know about me is that I'm very afraid of public singing and public speaking. I'm so you're insanely really fun. shy. <laughs> yeah, um, I cannot sing in front of people. It's one of those weird things, a defect of mine. I just I freeze up. How do you audition? Good question. Um, <laughs> it's a good question because pretty much every uh, audition that I've had where I've had to sing, it's been, I don't know how I've gotten the part, to be That's honest. Amazing. I go into another place. Do you place. just like close your eyes and just do it? The Pitch Perfect audition I was auditioning for and Jason Moore, the director, later told me when we were filming, you were so nervous. I don't know how you know you got through it because I was closing my eyes and yeah. shaking, but I got through it. Wow, I would never ever guess that. That's amazing that you did that. That's so interesting though, because we talk a lot, like do you consider yourself an introvert or you just get really nervous in front of people when you're Brittany? It's funny because I don't know if this changes, but I've done some research on this. And when I've taken, you know, Carl Jung, quizzes and things like that. I've I've always been an extrovert because I gain energy from being around people and helping people. And I love the energy of others, but at the same time, I'm also an introvert. So it's shifted from into my thirties. I'm now much more of an introvert. We talk about this all the time because I think our team is always shocked. And I think our audience, especially when we do stuff like this, that like we are both introverts. And this is exhausting to us because it requires us to be extroverts to be here. So I think the three of us should like go take a nap. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it's an interesting thing as you think about your building a career and how do you balance sort of what you have to do for work with who you are as a person and your me time, like how do you kind of restore? Mm-hmm. How have you figured out like what works for you to sort of just stay sane and all of that? It's been an interesting road with that because since being in this business for so long, I've seen so many people that I've grown up with get burnt out or exhausted. And I think that a good thing that was instilled in me by my parents, but also my friends, is that it's okay to shut off and gain inspiration by not having to be on. You know, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you need some time for yourself. And I have a great support system with not only people, but also with tools that I use of spirituality and things that I get outside of myself, music and things like that, that make me feel like I can recharge and be a good person to others because I definitely don't support the idea that you have to be off or like mean to people in order to get some introverted time. Our tools are um, being antisocial and sleeping. (laughs) Mine is definitely. My fiance says that he's like, you're not a morning person. You're not a night person. You're a sleep person. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right. I love sleeping. We'd be really fun together. (laughs) Um, So we want to get into Almost Family because when we were um, researching this and watching the trailer, this is a scary and 
fascinating show, The Premise. Can you tell us a little bit about it and where the show came from? Right. So this is a, um, a concept that was originally created in Australia. The show was called Sisters. But even before that, I think a lot of people might have read in the paper or in, on it, the paper, <laughs> how old are we, um, uh, <laughs> on the interwebs, um, that this is actually a really prevalent story that people are going through where a fertility doctor has used his own material to um, impregnate his patients. And I think that because of the new age that we're in with Ancestry.com and DNA testing, 23andMe, we're gaining so much information and knowledge about ourselves that we never had before. And all Although that's, you know, overwhelming and and exciting, it's also destabilizing and scary. And so this fertility doctor in our story is being held accountable for his actions. And within that, there are three women who kind of have to find each other and realize that they're sisters. I played Julia Beckley, who seemingly is the only daughter of Leon Beckley, the fertility doctor. And I find out that I have multiple siblings, two of which are these women that I get close to. The story is so crazy. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) What made you want to take this role? Well, um, so when I was doing Someone Great, uh, one of my best friends, Jen Rupp. I love. Oh, thank you. It's a huge skim favorite. If you guys haven't seen it, you should. Like, you'll cry. You'll feel all the feels. Definitely cry. Yeah. Yeah. Even the tough guys cry. So my friend Jen Robinson, I don't know why I said that. Um, uh, Wait, who cares? Um, uh, So my friend Jen Robinson, um, she directed it and wrote it. Her and I have always been trying to work together in so many different capacities. And she was like, there's this Australian show, Sisters, and they are bringing it to America, and it's going to be for Fox, and just keep your eye on it. So I told my agents about this long ago and I've been tracking it forever and then I finally got the audition for it and I was like this is my part I had to really fight for it because I was doing a movie in Dallas at the time and I put myself on tape and had to go to this really creepy place to audition for it where we sent it to LA Um, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of it because it had a really interesting balance of levity and also depth and it really had a portrait about these three women that were complex and also really empathetic characters And the main thing I I really loved is that Leon Beckley, the fertility doctor who is my father, you know, a a few years ago, this would have never been a story that could have come out where a man falls from grace, a white doctor man who really gets held accountable for his actions. And I wanted to be a part of something where my character was the eyes for the viewers into what this man has done and also trying to create a new family for myself. We'll get back into the episode in a minute, but first, let's talk a little more about the new drama that Brittany Snow is starring in. Oh my gosh. This it's is really crazy. crazy. So we thought our families were complicated. They're and not. <laughs> no. And then we saw this show, Almost Family on Fox. It is super interesting, taken from probably headlines that you've seen, fears that you've had over what happens when some fertility doctors get a little bit too involved, (laughs) to say the least. The show's about an unusual family that's formed when an only child discovers she has sisters she never even knew about. That's all we'll say. We're trying to give you hints. There's a lot that they deal with. You're going to be a fan. You don't want to miss it. Watch Almost Family Wednesdays at 9, 8 Central on Fox.
what just stuck out to me as you're describing the story is that in my mind, and I think for a lot of the audience, I'm like, you're Britney Snow, like you're very famous. You've done all these great things. And then you're telling this story of like, you had to fight to say like, this is mine. You had to audition, you had to, you know, really work for it. When I think about what it's like for non-celebrities to kind of fight in the workplace and fight for yourself, you know, you could open a lot of self-help books. It will give you advice, maybe our own, how to skim your life. Uh, but, uh, but it will give you advice on how to kind of think about negotiating for yourself in the workplace. I don't really usually think about it in Hollywood terms. And so just extrapolating kind of how you fight for yourself and how you think about this is what I want to do to get to the next level mm -hmm. in my career. How do you approach that? That's a really good question and something that I don't talk about a lot, especially as of late, but it's something that is really real to me because I, just like everybody, have gone through times and very, you know, serious times where I didn't think that I would be able to work again. I didn't know if I was going to, to get to this place. I, I took a few years off of acting when I was 23 and I needed that time for myself to recharge, I guess. And You'd also been working for since I was 20 a child. years. Yeah. <laughs> but within that time, I really had to start from ground zero. I had to get healthy and, and reorganize my life. And, and it, it developed a lot of insecurity about, do I even know how to act? Who am I without these tools that I used since I was a child? And I developed this huge anxiety around auditioning and meeting people and talking in front of people. And there were many years that I didn't book anything. And I really thought to myself, this is not going to be what I'm going to do anymore. I'm going to become a community theater actress and I'm just going to be in a little shell. And through like different friends and my support system and also just this innate understanding and voice that I had where it's just wasn't the end of my story. I just like, I just knew that I was supposed to keep doing more, even though there were so many years that I, I, my career went weird. Um, I kept doing Pitch Perfect movies and thank God for that. But at the same time, I had to use every tool that, that I had. I went to hypnotherapy and all these different things to kind of get from the inside out. And, and then now, you know, it's been 10 years later and I feel like you have to go through those things and it takes time and it takes what it takes. And then just knowing that you don't want to give up is I think the, the ground for, for our listeners and audience, like this was a project that you've been following the story. You're like, this is mine. I want to be involved in this. Whatever everyone has their own version of at work, this is something I really want to get involved in. My company is doing something exciting. What is your advice of how to say, I want in? I think it was a combination of emotionally and mentally being ready for it. I think if it happened a couple years ago, I don't know if I would have been, but I was shooting this movie in Dallas and I had to work that day and I worked the day after and well, they wanted me to try out for Roxy. And I said, no, I want Julia. That's the one that I, the character, the, the character, yeah. sorry. And they were like, no, we really want you for, for Roxy. So I memorized Roxy and Julia's sides and my lovely fiance stayed up with me till four o'clock in the morning, memorizing all of them, just running him and running them, put myself on tape at six o'clock in the morning and sent it and then went to work at eight. So I think it's like that great Steve Martin quote where it's like, be so good. They can't ignore you. There's like no tricks. It's just doing the work and getting in there. And then if it's not yours, then it was never yours anyway. But at least you can go to bed I knowing that. that you did that. What I find so interesting about actors is that it seems like they know from such an early age that like this is what they were meant to be. You were working at 12. When you were 12, 
did you know that you wanted to be an actor? And you talk about having this like kind of existential crisis in your early 20s. Like most people are in, when they start working, it's like, you know, they're already in the midst of their mm-hmm. careers. For you, it came so early. What was it early on about acting that you knew you loved? And was there ever a point where you thought about like, maybe I really want to be... A veterinarian. I don't know. A vet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like an accountant. I love animals. I don't know. Um, yes, to both of those things. And actually my short film that I wrote and directed, Milkshake, is about that moment. It's based on my life and it's a personal story, but it's also based on others that I saw when I was a kid actor. And it really comes from the idea of what gives you validation as a child. Is it your parents' um, approval or is it something that you find within yourself of knowing that you are, are good at something and you get that validation with tapping into that? And Milkshake for me was about a time when I was on Guiding Light and I didn't really know if I was supposed to be doing that because I was a child. And I had this moment where I really sunk into something that was bigger than myself. And I found that I could do this thing that I didn't even know that I could do. And it wasn't learned. It was something that I just as a kid knew I had. And that moment, you know, restructured and reorganized the validation that I was seeking from my parents. And I just got it within myself. And I think every kid has that where you like, you know, you're in soccer or gymnastics or math club or whatever. And random examples. And uh, you do something that makes you feel like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So what was like the most inappropriate storyline that you encountered as a kid on a soap opera? Um, I I can tell you. Like, I can't even imagine being on that type of set when you're that young. I mean, I don't remember all of them, but I do remember one of the first ones. Yeah, yeah, you can tell me. Um, I remember one of the first things that my character, uh, also she had two names. She was Daisy, but she was also Susan. Which was very confusing for me when I had to go mm -hmm. back to school and I was like, wait, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So my character comes back as a different girl, same girl, but a different name. And she overdoses on cough syrup. That storyline I loved. And I, 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 and I go to the lake or whatever, and I just like chug cough syrup. And then the guy who was playing my boyfriend at the time, like has to take me to the hospital and save me. And I remember being like, wow, this is hardcore. It is officially fall. I am so happy. It's my favorite time of year with sweaters. Sweater season is the best season, mainly because you don't have to wear those (laughs) uncomfortable strapless bras. Everyone knows, okay, when you're in summer, it's great because you're tan, but then making the bra situation work is difficult. And you don't have to think about that at all with sweater weather, which is why- This is an excellent point that I really never thought about I know, but I'm very excited about it. Uh, And we are very happy to have third love in our lives. Um, So first thing you should do is fit finder quiz. Answer a few simple questions to find your perfect bra fit in 60 seconds. Honestly, third love is the most comfortable bra you'll ever wear. It has straps that won't slip. And my favorite, tagless labels. I hate having an itchy tag. Third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering you, our listener, 15% off your first order. All you have to do is go to thirdlove.com slash skim right now to find your perfect fitting bra and you get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash skim for 15% off today.
So one of the things that we deal with all the time, and I think that everyone here and those listening probably get is feedback and rejection. Um, I can't imagine what it's like to be an actor and to have that be so part of just your day to day. How do you deal with that? Well, it's really hard. I'm a very sensitive person by nature. And, you know, a lot of my career has been more no's than yeses. I think a lot of people, because I started so young, like to compartmentalize. And I think people like to do that in general, no matter what job you're in. But because I was in Hairspray and Pitch Perfect, people see me as this, you know, like they just, I think their voice goes up when they see me. Sometimes they're like, oh my God, like Brittany Snow, like hi, or whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like hello. Like, I'm 33 years old. Um, uh, but, but I think I, you know, I've been dealing with that my, my whole life. And, and that is something that I'm actually grateful for because it's gotten me the jobs that I have. But within that, I've also had to combat a lot of people wanting me to stay in that place and rejecting the idea that I could grow up. And that's been hard, but it's also something that makes me strong because I fight against it and I know what I can do. And even though people say that maybe I can't, I know I've had that innate voice that says, you know, I'm just going to find another way. So when you do get feedback or edited at work in, in some capacity, how do you not take it personally? I try to to take myself out of the situation and always try to realize my ego in it and and separate the two of am, is this rising up a feeling in me that is affecting my ego or is this actually constructive and I need to hear this and even if it might be coming from something from their ego obviously it's already said it's already out there and I need to figure out what I can learn from it this seems so self-helpy sorry but I try to do that with a lot of situations of like it's already happened so what my response is to it is actually the only thing I can control. And let's just make sure that this is the best take because me pouting and being like, oh my God, they were mean to me. doesn't do anybody any good. That's very zen. Yeah. Thanks. Like, yeah. I, I'm saying that. Do I always do that? Yeah. No. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, they're wrong. Um, but, but you know, you, you do it anyway because it's your job. Um, so you've said recently that you've become more picky about your projects. And I think that makes sense hearing your career trajectory. And I think we've all had moments in our careers where we're working on something we just don't love. How do you stay motivated, especially when you're an actor and it's not like you're showing up for one day? Yes. Um, I stay motivated through constant inspiration with movies that I watch and TV shows that I love, the friends I have. But I have become more picky because I realize that I'm very lucky to do what I do and it's not always going to be this way and I need to be careful. You know, I don't want to just throw my time around and just hope for the best when I know that I've had years where I didn't get to act. I want to make sure that I'm in it for the long game. So if I can have the strength because I've been through that to wait for the right thing and instead of doing some like, I don't know, I, I was about to say an example that was going to be mean to whoever is on that show, so I'm not. But um, <laughs> but I don't want to do just whatever you know show is offered to me because I know that I am stable enough and okay enough in my skin to to wait for the right thing. I want to talk about milkshake um, yeah. and why you decided to do that and what the process was like getting it off the ground because it can't be easy to go out on a limb and do something on your own. The process to get Milkshake started was a difficult one because it was about a year of trying to get it made where a few different people were giving me financing and a lot of people believed in it and then they would always 
fail or drop the ball or it, it never came through. I don't know if this is how normally people fund short films, but I ended up doing like 10 hashtag ads on my, or more, more than 10, let's be honest, um, uh, hashtag adding like my whole Instagram. And I'm sure people who were looking at my Instagram was like, this girl has lost it. <laughs> she is selling lemonade. She's selling like all these different things. But I was like, I'm going to get this made. So I raised the money myself. And of How course- How much did it, you have to raise? I don't want to tell you. Okay. But, but <laughs> it was, um, it wasn't yeah. that much, but it was enough to where I paid everybody exactly what they needed to yeah. be paid. I didn't, you know, call in any favors. I didn't make sure that anyone especially was underpaid if they were working hard. I wanted to make sure everyone was taken care of. So then we ended up making it. And it was really something that I wanted to do for myself to prove that I could and to exercise another part of my brain that was creative. What do you do when a project isn't working? How do you know when to walk away? Well, sometimes you can't because you're contractually obligated to be there. <laughs> um, yeah. But there are some times when, you know, I, I've known that, let's be honest, there's been some movies that I've been in that I knew and you knew when you saw them. Like, I've never seen they any of them. They were not working. <laughs> but, you know, you try to, like many other projects in, in everyone's life, you try to make the best out of it and realize that this is getting you to something else. Maybe not a step up, but a step to the side I don't know I want to go going back to milkshake for a second you fought so hard to get it made and then you're the boss what was it like to become the boss on set it was a very strange surreal moment for me where I had to realize that I deserved the seat at the table I'm much more of like I want everybody else to feel comfortable and accepted and you know that doesn't do anybody any good when the director is putting themselves in a lower position so to have that grace of knowing my place but also being completely collaborative and making it a cohesive experience for everyone was something that I felt really challenged by but also it was so rewarding so showing up and just knowing what I wanted was the most important how did you learn how to be the boss like how did you learn how to direct I mean obviously you've been on sets forever but it's still a different job than what your job on those sets had been so actually how did you learn a new job I shadowed a lot of my friends who are directors I did you know online classes I read a lot Um, whenever I had time off from from working which you know was sometimes a lot of time I, I spent a lot of time doing those things but also I think directing sometimes is just trusting your taste and also trusting the people that you hired. And I think it's sticking to what you want. Some of the shots that I wanted, people were like, mm. and then, you know, I just knew that I wanted them. And if if it didn't work out, then it was on me. And that is what I just held on to. Um, speaking of trusting people that you hire, so you cast Anna Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like working with a friend? That's something, it can be tricky we've seen it go really well and then we've heard horror stories right it was it was great anna is a really good friend of mine and there was there was only a few people that i trusted to play that character because it was you know not only my mom but a lot of moms that i had been around and it was a tricky part to make somebody empathetic and also to really you know see their struggle and I think she did a, a beautiful job. And it was really seamless working with her. She knew exactly what to do. And I knew how to direct her because I knew her so well. And so I think it was actually beneficial to work with a friend. My rule in my head, it's not an actual rule, but in my head, I'm always like, 
I don't want to hire somebody that I, I couldn't be able to fire. I can't imagine having to break up with a friend because mm. of something in the workplace. That would be like my nightmare. Right. Another way to say this is how do you protect working with friends when you also have to give maybe them critical feedback? Right. I've been in both situations. I've actually worked with a friend for a long time that we ended up not working together anymore because it kind of it was not a great working relationship. And it was really hard to draw that line between the two. In this case, it wasn't like that because from the very beginning, Camp Anna knew exactly what we were doing. And, and she had heard me talking about it for so long and she really understood what I wanted to create. And also since it was a personal story to me, she knew that I had uh, a vision that mm-hmm. she wanted to uphold. Um, but yes, I've, I've been in that situation as well where you need to fire someone that you're close to. And um, it's the worst. It's just the worst. When I think through some of the recent projects you've been involved with, someone great, pitch perfect, now with Almost Family, there are a lot of strong female relationships. You talked about maybe being different now, telling those stories now than, you know, 10 years Mm -hmm. ago. Um, Have you sought out those roles and have you felt different being on those types of sets? Yes. You know, I think it's interesting. I haven't necessarily sought out those roles, but I've loved that in my career. It seems like they've come to me. Um, I'm always a part of a, you know, a girl squad (laughs) in like someone great and pitch perfect. And in this, in this TV show, Almost Family. And I think I'm taking as a compliment to me that I'm a part of being, you know, a welcoming um, member of like a community that stands for something that's super strong and opinionated and complex. And so I think that that's a great thing. I, I do think that a number of years ago, it wasn't like that. There wasn't such strong female leads. And I think that things lacked because of that. And so I think you're seeing a lot of characters that are women that stand together and there's not so much infighting of you wore that skirt and you stole my boyfriend. It's just, you know, actually what women go through, which is holding each other up and and dealing with the outside world instead of each other. I can't imagine some of the questions you've probably been asked on press tours, like people looking for kind of the catty moments or Mm -hmm. or looking for storylines that maybe don't exist. So I'll flip the script on you. What do you wish people asked you on a press tour? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, you know, there's always these sample questions that people ask about anything that you're in and who's the silliest and would you get them for a rap That was my next question. Yeah. Really? Um, We're like, like that she's, she's acting <laughs> no danielle it's not my next question <laughs> no that's true it's like that's every time somebody on a press tour you know wants to be like who was the practical joker and it's like we were very what? professional we yeah. you know you're like I'm we're not like putting like yeah. you know people gum on people's seats i don't know but um i would love to have somebody ask me about like what we learned from each other personally, professionally, what we took away from each other in terms of like, you're working with these women for months at a time, especially like this show, we're together for six months. And I've learned so much about myself and how to be a part of a tribe sort of that I think I would like those types of questions where it's not just about how are we different, but how are we the same and how we have this common goal to make something really good. Because I think that women in general want to come together. And I think this is true for men too, but when you're like-minded, create something that's really special and being asked those questions about how you did that would be great. Well, now we're going to ask that Oh, great. (laughs) That's our actual next question. (laughs) 
Right. So no practical jokes. I think what I what I've learned is a lot about myself in terms of being on a show. I haven't been the lead of a show since American Dreams and trying to create an atmosphere where everyone feels inspired and excited is something that I have really loved learning about myself and also collaboration with people and creating our characters because we are sisters on this show and having to make sure that we all are aligned in the goal that we want. Yeah, I've learned a lot about myself about like not sleeping and yeah. just going for it and relying on other people and not being afraid to ask for what I want. I've been a woman in this business for a long time. People have called me like a golden retriever. You're always fine, you know, and sometimes I'm not fine. I need to take a second or I need to get something for myself. And that's really hard for me. I'm much more, you know, I want to open my own door. I want to do it, everything myself. And it's okay to need a second that's and ask for help. great piece of advice. When you are the lead, do you feel like there is a weight on you to set the tone for like what the culture is going to be like? I think that's too much pressure. I think that there's so many things that play that come into a great show, great movie. I think it's sometimes, you know, really just about the energy behind it. But I do believe that the actors that are working every day have to be aligned and have great energy together or else it trickles down to everybody and then everyone hates their job. And that's not fair. So I think it's a balance of both. But Am I the sole person that's going to take on the weight of the publicity and the culture behind it? No, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) No. Okay, we're moving to my favorite segment, our lightning round. Oh, God, this is my least favorite. No, it's going to be so so good. Okay. You've done so well. This will be the easy part. Hasn't she done well? Thank you. Thanks. I am like a lightning round, so (laughs) I'm ready. First job. (laughs) For our listeners, she's wearing yellow. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I'm wearing Uh, yellow. Sorry. (laughs) It's a podcast. Okay, first job. First job. Oh, first job. I thought you said yeah. first round. I was yeah. like, I know, I'm ready. Um, first job was, um, uh, it was a commercial for, I mean, I was three, so it wasn't really a job. Uh, but yeah, it was like a commercial for like Tide or something. Worst job. Worst job? Um, oh God, uh, so many of my movies. I, I did a, r- a really, really bad movie. I'm not even going to name yeah. it. Yeah. And also, like, a really bad movie called Hangman that is the worst, but it's okay. I, I loved working with Al Pacino, but the movie's oh, bad. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is cool. Really bad. Not, not Al Pacino. He's, like, the most amazing no, actor Pacino. ever. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I did the movie. Um, first call when you get good news. Um, my fiancé, my best friend, and my dad. What about bad news? Same. What is the worst professional mistake you've ever made? Hangman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, um, well, there's been a few fashion mistakes that have been really bad, but they haven't hurt me professionally, I don't think, because no one will remember. But, um, but I think, uh, yeah, picking movies out of fear of not ever working again and just wanting to work instead of being smart about it. I know you don't like to sing on the spot. I'm not asking you. Don't worry. Um, but if you were singing privately... At home, in the shower, while driving. What is your go-to jam? Um, like, do you also sing Pitch Perfect to yourself? <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? I just like to sing my own songs um, to myself. I'm just curious. That would be insane. Um, I probably like 60s music, you know, like Run Around Sue and like the Supremes and all that sort of stuff was in our car no matter where we went. I sang actually um, Diana Ross for, for the Pitch Perfect's um, audition. Oh. What's your guilty pleasure? 
Bachelor in Paradise. Everything Bachelor. Um, uh, it's it's literally my mind goes like numb and I go to like an island yeah. in my in my eyes. <laughs> I'm just like this is everything. Um, uh, uh, anything creamy like guacamole, hummus, frozen hmm. yogurt. I don't know what that says about me, but I like it says anything. good things. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. yeah. It's why I did a short film called Milkshake. I love. <laughs> Who would you be starstruck to me? I actually, the other day, um, I don't know also what this says about me, but I'm obsessed with Top Chef and I'm obsessed with food Mm. shows in general. I eat while I watch Top Chef and I swear to God, it makes your food taste better. It does. Try it. Um, So the other day at the the Emmys, um, uh, Tom Colicchio walked by me and I got so starstruck. He's a chef, I mean, obviously, but but Padma also um, yeah. got oh, to me. Yeah. She's just, I went saw yeah. her in the street, and I got very starstruck. Right, I got I get really starstruck by by people who can do something so artistic and magical that I have no idea how they did it. What's your shameless plug? Shameless plug: mm-hmm. Almost Family, October second, <laughs> Wednesdays at nine, eight central. Eight central. I yes. had to say that. Yeah, I yeah. Had to say that no, before no, no, that's good because I always forget yeah. that, and yeah, we need to remember. Brittany, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.